Hi, welcome to the Bougie in a Backpack podcast. My name is Angel Trin and I'm from Pennywise Traveler. And I'm Mackenzie from Travel Hacks Mac. And today we have a special guest who is going to be presenting at our Bougie in a Backpack virtual travel summit. Her name is Shauna Lum and she's the founder of Move Overseas Now. She first started off traveling all over and traveling mostly around Europe. And now she's able to live this free life traveling and she's an expert in moving abroad. And she also runs two online businesses from home. So there's so much that we can learn from her and we're really excited to have you. Thanks for joining us, Shauna. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, you guys are definitely inspirations for me because when I'm scouting out new places and, you know, trying to get my my feet wet in the all around these different places around the globe, I've literally learned so much from you guys. So first of all, thank you for all of the credit card hacks. Like I literally follow all your guys' stuff and it's just awesome to be able to be here and help others kind of see that this is possible. Like if you really love, I think what, where I stand for others is like, okay, you guys are on this travel journey. You love doing this. And you've been to a couple places that have in your heart, you're just like kind of feeling this pull of like, what would it be like to leave America or leave my home? And, um, that's where I think I'm here to like inspire people. Like if you are feeling this call of your soul to go make Spain, Portugal, London, these different places happen you can totally do it. And there's a lot of misconceptions behind it. So that's kind of, thanks for the intro. That's kind of how I started Move Overseas Now. And I'm a living abroad coach. Um, I've helped 1300 people through my online events and programs um, make their move abroad. So yeah, anything permanently moving abroad and scouting new places, figuring out if it's a good fit for them, that's kind of my jam. So thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, that's awesome. So how did you get started in travel? Like to begin with, did you always want to travel growing up or did you have, did you get infected with the travel bug as a lot of us do? Honestly, yes. And that's such a good question. So my parents, I think the way we do things is very, is a lot of times shaped by our parents and how we were brought up. So I was very lucky that I had entrepreneur parents. They, my dad owned a construction company. My mom has always been a hustler here in LA, like running online adventures. And she even is like the president of a company. So I kind of got to see from a small child, like what it's like to be independent. And I know a lot of people don't necessarily have that upbringing, which that's okay. But yeah, I think it really started from just knowing that my parents were always okay with me going and doing my own thing. And that started from college. Like I was, I'm from LA and I knew after high school and having kind of like trauma from high school and the bullying and like not fitting in and the judgment, like I knew that there was more and I needed to get the hell out of my bubble. So that's why I went to school at Washington State University in Pullman, which is a very small town, total opposite of LA. And I got to see, okay, people and environment and your life can be different. Like you can make it what you want. And I think that gave me the first taste of like independence of like, mm-hmm. okay, this is how you can live life on your own terms. And I never really wanted to come back living in LA. And from there, I studied abroad in Spain for the last six months of college. I, I was a business major with a Spanish minor, just have loved Latin cultures ever since I was younger. My grandma's also Mexican, so kind of grew up 
kind of learning Spanish, even though in America, they're not really teaching us that much. Um, But I was always like a fan for like learning languages, experiencing new cultures, like traveling and seeing how the rest of the world um, worked. And I think my parents, yes, were a big part of that. But I also went out on my own. First, actually, when I was 19, I did a fully paid trip to Israel. I don't know if you guys heard of this, but for like people that are Jewish, they have this whole program where you get like your entire trip to Israel paid for. I know times are kind of different right now. And there's so obviously people aren't doing that right now. But that was where I got my first taste of travel and just like what life was like over there. It's so European in the Middle East. Um, I've also been to other places in the Middle East. And it's like, it's got this interesting vibe of like European, like really nice, very different. And I just thought, wow, like there's so much more than what we're used to. So I think that was the first thing that sparked it. And then of course, studying abroad and living in a place for like six months in Spain, in the North, Bilbao, living with a host family, really getting involved in the community, making local friends. And that's really what I think started it for me. Mm -hmm. I wish I still had my Spanish. I took like, you know, the years in Spanish in middle school and high school. And I even took like, I think like a year or summer in college and the Spanish is not really that good for me right now. Yeah. But here's the thing is like, it's so easy to now learn languages. Like you guys know, there's obviously the Google translate app. Um, you can practice Duolingo for a couple of weeks before and you, you go on these big trips and it really does help. They have like, these pretty low cost courses these days. Like I have a partner, Anita's Portuguese lessons for people that really want to go to Portugal for a couple months. They can learn a lot. So don't be also, I always tell this to people, like, don't think that your mind is not capable of learning. Even when you're like older, there's this like misconception also that, oh, I can't live in this place or go to this place because I'm I'm an adult now. My brain is not going to learn the same. That's like totally not true. Like we can build new neuropathways. There's science behind it. There's older folks that literally just decide to leave because healthcare in America is crazy and they don't want to be working till they're 65. And people are starting to realize that like between 30s and 40s right now is really the prime time to get up and do this because they're realizing like, I don't want to be a slave to the society and I want to live on one third of what I'm paying here. And I'd rather spend that in Spain and like keep my American clients and work online and just like live life better. So you can accomplish anything you set your mind to. And that's kind of like to kind of set the intention for this interview (laughs) is like, you guys can literally do whatever you set your mind to. I think that's huge. Don't you guys agree? Oh, yeah. And so for you, did you how did you go from loving travel to actually living abroad? And is that did you feel like you were just setting your mind to it and made it happen? Yeah, like, so yeah, I basically started with that trip to Israel, like really seeing for 10 days, how people were how I could freely go do something solo traveling and like how exhilarating it felt. I really rooted into the feelings of that trip, Mm -hmm. which I think all of us, that's probably why you guys keep going. Like that feeling of freedom and that you can go explore on your own terms. And it's kind of like therapy, you know, it's, it's a self healing journey when you travel by yourself. And so I didn't want to just like, 
put that into the drawer and like be like, oh, it's just a memory. Like I really wanted it to be like a part of my life. And so that's why I picked it up again and just was like, okay, I've already done it at a small scale. What does it take for me to go do this on a larger scale? Okay. I went with a program, which I know it's like study abroad, but like, regardless of what you do to learn how to do the things you want to do, you got to do a program. So like people want to bougie travel on a discount. They got to sign up for your program because that's how you're going to learn. You learn from people that already know how to do these things. And back then I didn't even have anybody. So there weren't, there weren't people teaching us how to do these things. And I went, obviously went with my study abroad office, but regardless, I had support. There's no way I would have done this if there wasn't like a roadmap or I was going on like some sort of program or got connected with a community. And it's all about like, how can I get connected and how am I going to feel okay? Like, you're not going to just buy a ticket and just go, you got to plan it. And how am I, how do I plan it the right way? So yeah, I think it was just the confidence, like you said, in knowing that I had previously done this on a smaller scale and what do I want for my life? Like, what's my vision? Like for me, it's, I don't want people to tell me how I'm supposed to live. I don't want to climb up this corporate ladder to just feel unfulfilled. I don't want to like have to plan my vacation and travel days. Or if I want to go do yoga at 11 AM, like I'm going to go freaking do yoga at 11 AM and then plan my client calls around that. Like, all of that is possible when you go move abroad too. Like you can set up this life for yourself to where you're making income online, you have your American clients, and then you just go live over there for a lot cheaper. <laughs> to me, it's like the, the way, and I'm just like such an advocate of it. I just see stress levels decreasing when you live abroad because I lived in Spain for six plus years in Barcelona until came back to LA because my dad actually died two years ago. So that's actually why I'm stateside. And while we were kind of sorting through all that, because um, life happens, it's not like all your problems are going to go away by traveling and living abroad. But um, we we're deciding to stay here for a couple more years to get my husband's citizenship in America. And then we're going to go back to Spain. And we have a whole other project that we're going to do there, which I'm so excited about. That's so exciting. We do have the Bougie Travel Institute that you kind of hinted towards. So if you do want to learn more about travel hacking, we do have that available for you guys. And it's so great that you talk about that, how um, you can do this nowadays. Because a lot of people I talk to, they think that they missed the boat. They're like, oh, well, like mm -hmm. I missed out on studying abroad. Now I can't go for extended periods of time. Versus for you, you're teaching people like, hey, it's not just a work visa route that you need to go. Because a lot of people nowadays, when they have full-time jobs, they think that like, oh, well, like I need to get my company, like if I like let's say like my old company right it's new york based right but they also have a london office they think that the main reason why how they can get to the london office is through work but you're showing them like no that's not the only way to do that you can't just hold on to this corporate life that your company might move you to that office in a few years it's also not guaranteed that also happened mm -hmm. to me where i had a team in london and i was applying for that job in london and then they were like oh actually hr became a whole thing even though it was my own department and they had that spot open for six months and they couldn't transfer me to that position in london if you don't want to do right. the hierarchy or the politics behind that you do have a better solution for people who don't want to do that just because you cannot depend on a job to get you there you can build your own destiny and that's what you're gonna allude to right and by the way we're doing both of us so angel mckenzie and i we're doing lots of um really awesome virtual summits for you guys so 
I have one that's happening February 17th and 18th. It's completely free. It's a free summit on living abroad. So it's called Untold Secrets of Living Overseas. Um, there is travel pieces in it as well, but I think your guys's would be more specific to the travel hacking one that you guys are doing, which I'll be on that one as well. But if you guys want to sign up, we're going to put the link in the show notes. So make sure to sign up. Um, it's basically everything from mindset to what does it take to go make a move abroad? Or even if you're just trying to go for a month or two months to see if you like it, like what should I be putting in place now so that I can live this life? And then healthcare, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be talking misconceptions. We're going to be talking, what does it look like when you actually go there for healthcare and insurance and relocation expenses, costs, what about buying property? It's going to be really, it's very all encompassing about everything if you're considering making your move. And so I think that would be really good as an inspiration for anybody that really wants to make this happen because we're seeing more and more people do this. Like, and if there's something that's happening in your life that you're just like not resonating with, or you just want to refresh and you want a new start to your life, come to our free summit in there. When is your guys's by the way? Ours is in March. So okay. there'll be some time in between yours and ours. So you can soak up all that information and then and then learn how to how to hack your way to wherever you want to want to go to. For sure. <laughs> that is so important though, like the knowing how to travel hack so that if you are looking to make one of these moves, you can do it affordably because we're not also as a living abroad coach, I don't teach people, "Oh, just choose a place if you've never been there." You first need to travel there and why not use like all of your points, your hotels that you have you know, from those points and get these credit cards working for you. Like I just used your guys' strategies to go to Dubai um, for actually a business event. That was for my other business, the digital marketing company. We, my partner spoke at the ad world conference and I was like managing the booth. So I literally did the round trip flight by your guys's, um, yeah, your guys's recommendation of the cards that I should be using. So thanks for that. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that we see like proof in this because then sometimes you wonder like who's actually implementing the strategies because not everybody always tells us, you know, so we're always curious and we always like things like that. Feel free to post that in our Facebook group, tag us in your IG stories. If you have a nice travel redemption or something that you learn from us, it's always very helpful. Or you can leave a podcast rating and review. I actually ran into that problem, Angel. Like I was working at a company right out of college. I came back from Spain from study abroad. And I was working for this company in Houston. I purposely chose the company because they had international offices because that dream was just like so at the top of my mind. I was always thinking about it. I still knew I, I wanted to live abroad after that one stint of doing it. And each year they would tell me, oh, you know, we're going to try to get you on that rotation in Dubai. Oh, we're going to try to do it. It freaking never happened. And guess what? I, I left because I was like realizing my dreams are here. Why am I going to let other people dictate what I do? Um, and that's kind of what you said. Like, it's really like putting life in your own hands. I mean, you guys are doing it. You're exploring the world on your terms and you've just found a really nice way to do that. Same thing for me. Like, I'm not going to let people tell me how I should live, but it really takes something like an internal, you have to do some internal work. It's like a lot of acceptance it's a lot of like, what is my vision for my life? Like, how do I really want to live? Like what 
feelings do I want to have? Like, so when I was living in Spain, just to give you guys an example, I had started my web design agency the second time I went there. So when I quit my corporate job, I went in on a student visa, like a master's program. That was a year. I only had to, sh the master's program, by the way, was entrepreneurship and innovation. I literally paid about 3000 euros for the whole year. So that's like really nothing. And that was like two or three hours of class Monday through Thursday, which left me the whole rest of the day to work on my business, get do work or just chill. I, it was basically like a sabbatical the first year. And once I ran and I was traveling the heck out of Europe um, on the weekends, flights are literally like a hundred bucks round trip. You, you guys know. And um, after that, I started my web design agency and I basically was just working with American clients from Barcelona and leveraging the cost of living versus what I was making. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like this is for me, this is the solution. And then because you're working with American clients, you don't really have to be on all the time. Like in the mornings I would wake up, I wouldn't set an alarm. I would go for a walk in the forest because Barcelona has a lot of greenery and lots of cool parks. My day consisted of going on a two hour walk where I would do yoga in the forest and then I would come home. Oh, I would probably stop at like a place to get like tapas or the menu del dia, which is like first course, second course, um, coffee and dessert. And it's literally like 12 to $15 for a set menu. So I would always like do that. And then I would come home and start working, but I was working a lot less because you don't really need to make as much money over there, but I was also shifting my schedule. So I was working from like 2 PM till I would say 10 or 11, just to make sure I could get on some of the zoom calls I needed to do. And that I was doing for a while and it's just such a sustainable lifestyle. And so, I don't know, I'm just putting this out there in case this sounds interesting to any of you that, and, and to kind of inspire you that it's totally possible. Like you can do whatever you want. I think there's a lot of hurdles that people go through to, to be able to do something like this that aren't really they're kind of all in their head. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. not, they're not actual limitations. They're just self-imposed limitations. Thoughts like, like, what is my family going to think? What are my friends going to think that I like that? It's a, such a crazy idea sometimes that it seems so out there to do that. And I think it's interesting what you said earlier about how you kind of grew up in that um, you had your parents were entrepreneurs. So you had that kind of, that's a hard thing for people to wrap their head around if they've only, you know, worked in corporate and don't understand that, yeah, entrepreneurship is a path that you can take. So that's like, it's interesting for you that you have that one, like that might've been just one like hurdle. Um, I mean, still a hurdle to be able to be an entrepreneur, but one thing that you, they didn't even um, like, it's not something you have to like get over because it's like something that was so normal to you. But for a lot of people, I think they can't even imagine not being, I, I wouldn't even say it's not even a secure job because it's, you never, you get fired at any moment. Right. Right. Like structure. Yeah. So I guess like what tips do you have for, for people who are in their head about that? Oh my gosh, these are good questions. And I totally agree with you. What it sounds like you said is there's a lot of people pleasing. I mean, there's people pleasing all over the world, but what I figured it out with all the people that come to the summits, there's literally 10% of the people that say they want to move abroad actually do it. And those are the ones that I have in my like group coaching. They, they do the one-on-one -on -one coaching with me because they're like, 
I'm going to do whatever it takes to do this. Like, you know, when you have this goal and you're just like so gung ho for it. Yeah, it's happening. Like you're, there's no question in your mind. You don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. I mean, this happened to me when my husband got his green card and I promise I'm getting to your question, <laughs> but uh, my <laughs> husband got his green card and he hadn't been out of the U.S. to visit his family. His grandma had passed away in Spain. Like we were living in the U.S. And because when you're getting your green card, you like can't leave the U.S. And so mm-hmm. we were kind of like, if you will, quote unquote, stuck here. When he got his green card, we were like, we're getting the hell out. Like we haven't traveled internationally for two years. What we ended up doing was booking a flight literally within a month that he had gotten the green card. And we planned a five and a half month digital nomad journey. I did this challenge for my clients, for people to see you can make a move abroad or plan a digital nomad journey in six months or less. And what did I have to do? We didn't get rid of my American LA apartment. I found a subleaser in two weeks. Don't ask me how. It was energetically you can call it manifestation, you can call it law of attraction, whatever. We set I set this intention and I was like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to literally find somebody in two weeks to rent our apartment for five and a half months. I was blasting it in all the WhatsApp groups. I play volleyball on the beach. I was like literally copy paste, copy paste, Facebook groups. I was just going hard. Like we are finding somebody because we want to get to my husband's mom in time for this wedding that's happening. And it literally happened. Like I could not tell you how besides determination. I like to say this equation, courage, plus committed action equals success. So the only thing you really need to have in life to like accomplish these things, or maybe even it's something as small as like, I'm scared to solo travel on my own. Mm -hmm. If you just have a little bit of courage, that's all you need. And then it's obviously the committed action, which is just like, okay, I'm going to go reach out. I'm going to go post in this group to find somebody to sublease or like that was my case. But it's just like those committed once you're committed and you just do the action step and have just a little bit of courage, I promise everything's going to work out for you. The second you have the negative thoughts, um, and this is the tip for people that are in their head about anything in life, the mind is so powerful. It doesn't know the difference between real or fake. You can have, this is a really cool story. There's two baskets. This is actually true. Um, scientists have done this study. There's like a basketball team that they had them physically practice for this match that they were going to play. And there was another team that they made them not practice physically, but only in their minds. Get When they put them together to play, guess who won? The team that had flawlessly, perfectly practiced in their mind ended up winning versus the team that was physically practicing. So it just shows you how powerful the mind is. And it's really important to like write down what you want to attract. Like every morning have some sort of practice of, you know, it's first important to know where are your fears and you write all the negative stuff that's coming up. And that's why they say journaling is so important. But what are you doing after you write these fears? You're just going to leave that. You kind of get to coach yourself. You, you, you create a line down the page and you write the opposite on the other page. So if it's like, I am scared to attract friends to my life. What's the opposite of that? I attract friends wherever I go. I have a contagious personality and I make friends because a lot of people are scared to do this because they don't have friends. They're doing it alone. What if I'm lonely? And so you just have to keep training your mind the opposite. 
And then all of these things that you guys want to accomplish come. So that's my biggest thing is like the mind and like training it the right way. Um, My mom was was also a hypnotherapist. So she kind of taught me all about the mind. And that's part of the course I'm launching is like, how do you make your move abroad happen in under a year with saving hundreds of hours of research? It's going to have pieces like that. So like prep work. And then it will have like 15 different country visas um, defined and like so you can implement your own strategy, but I kind of walk you through everything. But that's what I would do is like really get curious about these goals. Like don't don't ignore it because when you ignore things, you're not listening to your heart. You're not listening. We have a really short life. And um, to get a little deep here, I mean, my dad died when he was 63. Like I could have had so much more time with him. And it's like, wow, that's 33 years from now for me, which is like, that would be like, I would be at my halfway of my life point right now, which is kind of crazy to think about. Now his health choices weren't the best, but the point is like, why are we waiting for something to happen? Like, why aren't we just going out and creating it? And so it's just, it's just that mental and the mind and the soul piece. Like it is important to have these practices, whether that's five minutes of gratitude in the morning, or like you pray, or you write down something in your journal about what you want to attract to your life. Like that is how you manifest things. That's how I've got, I got clients like for my business, I, I would say what I wanted and then they would come. And yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. I think that's really important for, for people to know. There's like, there's two sides of it, right? There's like the mindset and then there's also logistics, which are, (laughs) that's very significant too. So it's good that you're, you're touching on both of those things. So I guess in terms of the, the logistics side, what are, what's, what are some examples of countries that are maybe slightly easier to, to make this big jump with? Or what kinds of requirements do you kind of see across the board? Like what kind of documentation would you need in order to move to another country? Yeah. So this is probably where where people get lost and why they give up. Mm-hmm. Because there's the mindset. So there's the excitement piece where you're really excited. You're like, oh, yeah, I just came on this free summit. Like, this is so cool. I really want to do this. And it's super exciting. And then you start like researching and people get stuck in the research phase. And that's where why people don't move is because they're stuck in this like analysis paralysis. Oh my God, there's so much information. There's all these countries. I don't know what to choose or, oh my gosh, I don't know if I have the finances and they just kind of like give up on it. And I can tell you somebody that literally has, you're going to need at least maybe like three to 5k in your bank account to like make this happen because you need to buy flights. I mean, you need to probably who knows? Let's see. Um, you're going to need to obviously relocate um, if you want to bring extra bags on the plane. So you can do it minimally for sure. If you're doing it minimally, you only need a couple K to do this, a couple thousand. It's not like anything crazy. And then for the visas, yes, there is like logistically and like visa wise, you need to figure out your strategy. So if we're talking, you have low budget. Well, you probably can't apply for the passive income visas, which are mainly you know, passive income from 401ks, passive income from investments, stocks, bonds that you have, passive income from rental property. So maybe you have a tenant. So if you first need to identify like, what's my budget? Obviously vision part first, vision is important. Like what do you want in your life? 
and I have this exercise if you guys want to do it. It's a freebie. I will put it in the in the description. It's basically like the move abroad roadmap and kind of like rooting into what you guys really want. And then some actual practical steps that you can take now for the research so that you're clear. You're not going to move somewhere. Like if my values are safety, I want warmth and sun. I'm obviously not going to choose Amsterdam because it's freezing. But Amsterdam, on the other hand, has like so many options. So Holland is great. They have a digital nomad visa. Most countries in Europe, you can go in on a student visa. And then after a year, two years, you can switch it to a work permit. The student visa route is always going to be like the cheapest and the easiest pathway mm -hmm. because the barriers to entry are pretty low. You just have to show for most of these countries. And when I say most of these countries, I mean Spain, Portugal, Holland, Germany. They do want to see that you have a lump sum in your bank account. So like something in savings so that you can last the whole year. You can survive. But we're talking, it's like literally not that much. It's most of these countries is under 10K, 10,000 US dollars. So you just need to show that you have 10,000 in your bank account. I have friends who were literally on a budget. They did this by having their parents transfer that over into their bank account just for the visa appointment in the consulate. And then they sent the money back to their parents. Like you can literally make this happen regardless of your situation. And in a more favorable situation, like let's say you're just with the having financial um, budgetary restrictions, all I mean is like, if you are really determined to do this and you're like, I don't want to keep my job. I want to just kind of take a sabbatical. I want to just get to know myself more. Like it's a perfect opportunity for you to come in on a student visa and you only go to class for a couple hours a day. And you do have obviously the cost of this, uh, the, the course. Italy has actual masters and bachelor programs for two, three thousand dollars for the whole year. Um, Spain has programs for one to 4K for the entire year. So you just have to be kind of creative with the courses you choose. And actually my second year, guys, I didn't even go to class. I literally <laughs> just paid for this. Yeah, I paid for the student visa just to renew it so I could have another year. I wasn't ready to leave and I literally didn't go to class and the school did not care. This was in Spain. <laughs> I'll share it with you guys if you want to know which one that was. Um, AIP, AIP Barcelona. <laughs> so it's the tea. <laughs> yeah. So all I'm saying is like, don't let all these excuses, like the excuses are going to come in, in, into the forefront. You're going to try to make an excuse. That's what we're used to. It's something big. It's a change. Whenever there's a big change, we try to like make excuses for it and not listen to what we really want to do. Um, but if you're not like it, you know, maybe you have a lot of savings, Maybe you could apply then. Oh, by the way, for the student visa, people use this just to get in the country and they still work online. So let's say you're like a social media manager or like you've got a couple clients or you're a copywriter or you work in advertising. Like you can still work remote on the student visa um, and there's no restrictions. Like you just wouldn't go into the interview saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to do this student visa and I'm going to be working online. Like you just go in on the student visa and just keep working online or build your business even more with the American clients. So that's what a lot of people do. The reason why they would do that instead of like digital nomad visa, for example, like I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of this. 
The only thing is the digital nomad visas for most of these countries like Spain or Holland, um, Estonia, you really need to look at, is this a pathway to residency? Because a lot of people think, oh, um, I'm going to do this visa and like, yeah, then I can be in the EU forever. No, wrong. Estonia has a digital nomad visa. It was the first one that was invented. You can't use that as a pathway to residency. So like, why would we choose it? Or Malta. People are so gung-ho about, oh my gosh, it's an island. It's beautiful. And it is really beautiful. But after two years, they kick you out <laughs> and you can't wow. switch it. You can't switch it. So why would we, why would we go in on that route? So a lot of this is about like the strategy and in the course, like, for example, I'm not even including Malta. I mean, I'm including it as an example of what what, what you shouldn't do because people <laughs> yeah. like think, oh, digital nomad visa, this country. And it's very, literally the consulate responded to me because I was vetting it for the course. And they were like, yep, no pathway to residency. You cannot renew after two years. So I'm like, okay, why are wow. people so gung-ho about this? Unless they truly just want to go to a place and they don't care if they fall in love, if they're like loving this place, they want to stay. Because I promise if you go to an island like Ibiza, Malta, the Canary Islands, Madeira, Portugal, you're going to freaking want to stay after you've been there for a year and a half, two years. Don't tell me you're not going to want to stay. So that's where I'm like, there's strategies that you should like know. It's also based on like, what are the visas available? So we're not going to choose, you know, let's say UK. Like I'm not a big fan of pushing UK now because they're outside of the EU. Why do you want to be stuck with a British passport? Unless your plan is to permanently live in the UK forever. You know what I mean? Because there's now all these restrictions. You can't properly work in the EU. So it comes down to that. So I'll, I outline all of that. And there's also passive income visas, which are kind of cool. People, it's originally a retirement, what retirees use, because you get your social security when you're 65. You can ask for early retirement before that. But there's no age cap on a lot of these besides Panama has like an age cap. Only people that are like 60 and over can apply. So, but in Europe, a lot of these passive income visas, if you've got the financials to back it up, they don't care. So like my favorite one to push right now is the Spanish non-lucrative visa. Mm -hmm. That one, you just have to show a lump sum of about 30,000 US dollars in your bank account and they will accept your application. And now you have a student, now you have a permanent residency visa up to five years. Um, you do have to renew renew and show more financials after there's certain uh, time periods that will pass where you have to like in country in Spain, like show those financials again, but it's four. So it's basically for one applicant, it's four times the minimum wage. That's how you always know. And right now the minimum wage in Spain, it's going to go up, but it's like 636 euros. So we're talking, what is 636 times four? That's about $2,500 a month that you need to show, but they will take lump sum. So that's the other thing. Some of the other countries won't take lump sum for your proof when you go to the interview. They will only want to see that you're making the passive income from like your investments, from your stocks, bonds, 401k, Roth, IRA, all those financial assets. 
um, and they won't allow work to be included. So there's a lot of these hacks. So kind of like you guys teach travel hacks, there are whole living abroad hacks that you guys should know about because it makes it so much easier. Like that's why I love pushing the non-lucrative visa because if you guys can just work towards, let me get some money saved up and I'll be good. And you can continue working online. You're not going to actually go to the appointment and say, hey, I also have a job because it's called the non-lucrative visa. You're so technically not supposed to work. But I'm here to tell you what works and what can be done, not necessarily like, oh, I need to follow the rules to a T. All of the living abroad coaches, I talk to all of them. We're all actually friends, like how you guys <laughs> paired up. I literally talk to all my, um, you can call them competitors. We all to our clients, push the non-lucrative visa and like recommend that people keep working online because the digital nomad visas, here's why the digital nomad visas are hard to get. In Spain, the one that just launched, you actually can't work for yourself. You have to work for a company. So it's like, oh, wait a second. Okay. There's so many freelancers out there. There's like, you know, you guys have your own business you wouldn't be able to apply for it. You'd have to set your business up as an S corp and write yourself mm -hmm. a contract. Your name cannot be on there. It's really got to be done the right way. So that's another drawback to why I don't like pushing digital nomad visas. If you are a freelancer or you're a business owner, you, you technically should be working for another company because the company has to write a letter. But here's the problem. Remote companies don't want to write these letters because HR is technically illegal with majority of corporations in America to allow your employee to work outside of the U.S. for more than three months. And they have specific terms of like how long you can work. So you really then would have to, OK, how do I find a fully remote job? And those are really hard right now because everybody wants the fully remote company. DOIST, D-O-I-S-T is a great one. Atlassian, which is the owner of like Trello, Slack is another potential one. And there's like the list goes on. A lot of the AI space, the Web3 space, they have a lot of good ones, but there's so many people applying. So then it's like, wow, I'm literally having to stick out out of, you know, 500 people in the application list. So that's kind of how, just to kind of give you insight to like how it works, each person's different. And kind of like going through the course, if you guys want to sign up, there's a wait list right now. You'll learn how to do this. And before you do that, don't even go for the visas. See if you can get citizenship directly. Um, uh, people have come onto my free summits and the like Move Overseas Now Club. They didn't even know that like Ireland, all these EU countries have citizenship by descent. This is huge. I'm getting my Czech citizenship right now through my grandfather, who is deceased. He's a Holocaust survivor, came to the U.S. You can get citizenship even if your parents, your grandparents are deceased. So that's a whole other route that you should do that before you consider these visas, because that should be the first step. Can you do citizenship? Mm -hmm. If you can't, okay, let's move over to now these other for visa options, student visa, passive income visa, digital nomad visa. And there are work, there are work routes. Germany has a job seeker visa. So you can actually apply here in the US and um, you can go on the ground in Germany, 
preferably Berlin or Munich, because those are the big cities, and find English speaking jobs, like doing your skill. And they allow you to be there for six months and job hunt. So that that's not in every country. That's very specific to Germany. Um, Portugal has one as well. So there are those as well. So for the $30,000, the passive route, can you have someone transfer the money to like their parents to them and then transfer it back? Or does that one not work like that? That that works for the other one, like for the, the school one, but not this way, right? Oh, it will. It can for sure work, but you just have to make sure you do that with the length of time that it tells you. So they want to see your, ba your bank statements printed out. For the LA consulate, in each consulate is different. I just had a client that was approved for his non-lucrative. Um, he did it through the LA consulate. It's super hard also to hear actual stories from people who have actually done this. So that's also what I'm including in the course. But like, let's say, for example, my friend Raul, who I've been working with, he got approved from the LA. He had to show three months of bank statements, the past three months. So you just have to make sure, let's say you're shy a couple thousand dollars or the whole thing, you'd want to make sure you get that bank transfer, you know, At maybe four months, months before. Yeah. I would say, yeah, yeah, probably four months prior because they don't want them to see that. There are so many ways to like do that, right? Like, so that would kind of be the more of the hacking of the hacking, <laughs> which, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, totally possible for my second year when I was in Spain, because here's the other thing is when I first, that second time I went to Spain on the student visa route, I didn't have all my businesses up and running yet. I created them when I was in Spain, but I was teaching English. I was coaching beach volleyball on the beach. And I also was managing a social media channel for like an English school. So I was like just hustling, kind of doing gig, like working in the gig economy, like just doing my little gigs before I started my online businesses. And of course, for the proof of income or the, you know, for that savings account that I had to prove year two within Spain, I had my mom transfer me the 8K or whatever it had to be at that time um, for, for the proof of financials, right? So yeah, there's a lot of ways you can you can hack the system in terms of like making this happen for you. So most I'm people don't have an issue though. Most people don't have an issue. Like they're probably prepping for this for a year and there's ways to save. So like don't eat out like, and maybe people have been saving for the past 10 years to do something amazing or big in their life. So. You know how you talked about how you're getting your citizenship through your grandpa now, who's now deceased. How come you didn't go yes. for that one before the Spanish one? Is it because you didn't know about it? And then you just learned the hardware like, oh, I could have done this a lot easier if I just went through my grandpa instead of going through school and paying this money for the student visa. Like, or did you just want to test it out where you wasn't, you weren't sure if it was going to work or not? Or did the rule just come implemented after the fact? This is a great question. And this is what I believe happened because it was a very long time ago. We were looking into this route. Like I was looking into the Spain citizenship by Jewish ancestry because they had this certain thing where you could apply if you were, if you could prove that you were Jewish, but my lineage didn't come from Spain. So that was the first attempt. And we had actually been told by a separate lawyer that the Czech citizenship route was not available. So- wow. 
that's another thing is I was listening to other people without actually doing my own research, which kind of mm. is crazy. I was told by people in Israel that were Czech that that was no longer an option. And so that's, again, another example of like, we just like listen to everybody about, you know, how we should be living our lives. And mm -hmm. we don't really go deeper than that. So I'm a big fan of like, really getting the truth. And obviously, you got to stay updated with things. There was something within the Czech legal aspects where something did change. And I do think that it did open up potentially around the time that I was doing my Spanish one, but I think it's a mixture of things. I think I was told that like it wasn't possible and I just was already going in on this other route. And I also didn't want to like rethink about doing that until this crazy thing happened with my dad. He passed away two years ago and I've been working with a lawyer. And part of why I like working with a lawyer myself is because they teach me a lot of things that I get to pass down to my clients without them having to spend $4,000 on their citizenship. You know what I mean? So that's kind of a cool thing that I'm like now sharing with every other person that wants to learn about this. Um, but also my route was a little bit different because I was doing the student visa and I already had it. There was really like no point for me to go do citizenship is a little pricey as well. So like mm -hmm. if you want to do it through a lawyer, you can expect to pay anywhere from 3K to 18K, depending on the country. Wow. Italy is more expensive uh, for that. You can do it on your own, though. So like my course, I show you how to do it on your own. Um, but I also fell in love with my husband, Dan, who was who has a Spanish permanent residency. And we just thought that's the way easier. That's the easier route. And then it was also cheaper at the time. So I actually did a common law partnership with him, which if you talk to most people that move abroad, they end up finding their loves abroad. Like, I'm just yeah. throwing it out there. Like, that is an ah. actual thing. And that wasn't my intention to do that. It just happened. And it just happened to work out. Like, I was like, Dan, I'm not going to keep doing this stupid student visa renewal thing. Like this is my third year in Spain. I was like, we're living together already. Let's do this common law partnership thing. So it's not marriage, but it's like kind of, it's like domestic partnership. Mm -hmm. A lot of these countries yeah. have that. So if you end up having a, a very serious partner, they ask for a couple of things. It's nowhere as crazy as it is to do it in the U.S. Like here in the U.S. you have to do interview they're like drilling you on like when you met like why show us your photo album from the past five years like in spain they were just like okay <laughs> they're just like so laid back over there like wow i paid a lawyer like six hundred dollars to do that for us oh man it was crazy <laughs> so what about the i'm kind of thinking like in terms of when it comes to like hacking these different ways that you can live abroad, what about the reciprocity between countries? Like, so if you get your citizenship here, can you live here, especially when it comes to Europe and like the Schengen region? Is there like an easier port of entry for Europe? Or so if you get your Czech citizenship, do you have to live there or you can live in other parts of Europe? So that's the cool part is when you have your citizenship, you don't have to worry about time restrictions. When you do the visa route, which is permanent residency, you typically have to be in that 
EU country for 183 days because that is half mm. the year. Once you get out, so let's say you were trying to do this, like I'm going to live in America six months and I'm going to live in the EU six months, which a lot of people really like. And Dan and I just did that, my husband. You have to be careful about how much time you're in that country or out of that country because you can get your, when you go to renew it, like let's say two years later, you can get in trouble. Like basically- For being away. For being away. Because they'll, wow. they ask a lot of things in the renewal process. Like they want to see, they can see when you've been out of the country, they will pull certain things, but there's a catch. Like, let's say you, you really liked, uh, I don't know, Italy or something, but Italy is really crappy for visas. They only really have one. They have two. They have the student visa route, which you can get masters for like two to three K if you really want to. Language courses are more expensive typically. Um, and they have the passive income route, but it really has to be from passive income, no savings. But let's say you like were obsessed with Italy. You could go into Spain, do the whole non-lucrative visa thing, which technically is a non-working visa. So you don't really need to have a job unless you're doing your online stuff. And you could go over and live in Italy for like half the year. I wouldn't suggest like living there the whole time, but you actually could, like if you wanted to press your luck, there are not, there's no borders in Europe. So you could just drive over. You could actually just hop on a Vueling flight. V-U-E-L-I-N-G is like the Spanish mm -hmm. spirit. You could just hop on oh, a yeah. flight over <laughs> to like Rome and just live in Rome for your whole time. I mean, you could because there's no borders. When you go to the airport, they actually don't even do anything with your passport. Like they're not really, I don't believe they are logging. They're just using it at the security checkpoint to like, for you to get in. Like so, Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, wait a second. It's not like TSA. They don't even ask for your ID at the, at the, um, when you're going through security, it's, it's a hit and miss. Mm -hmm. I've had it both ways. I've had it also when you're like boarding the plane. Um, some of the flight people that are the air, the air attendants are like scanning your, your stuff and you're supposed to have your ID, but they're not doing anything with it. They're not like logging it in the system. And I can, a lot of them have just looked at it and they haven't even done anything. So you could just really, yeah. Or they just look at your name just to make sure you're not like this random person mm -hmm. taking somebody's ticket but they're not actually doing anything with that. So like technically if somebody wanted to come in, their goal was to have citizenship eventually, which is in Spain, it's 10 years. You have to wait in Portugal. Why people like going there is five years. So in five okay. years, you could have another passport and have access to all of Europe. So first answer to your question is you don't need, I mean, you can live anywhere with, with EU citizenship, anywhere in the EU. And then the, the second question you had, I mean, you don't technically have to live in the place that you came in on mm -hmm. because there's no borders. There is a process, though, when you're going to get like renewals for permanent residency, because they do have like checks. They will ask for certain things like I wouldn't suggest that you come in to Spain and like don't have an apartment. Like there are certain things like paperwork that they want to see paper trails of like that you're actually there and like feeding their economy, because that's one of the reasons why they want you there. So you have to get this thing called a padrone, which is basically you go to the city hall with your rental contract and you're like, yep, I live here. And they give you this piece of paper that literally says like Shauna Lum lives 
at this address in Barcelona. And you just get that pulled from the city hall. So like in the system, it shows that you're living there. So there's probably a lot of hacks you could do to like actually live outside of the country, but I wouldn't ever not have like an apartment. And who knows, maybe you mm -hmm. could get that apartment in your name and you're like subleasing it um, to, to like students or other people, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. so it's still showing on paper that you live there because in the renewal process, they will ask for that document to show that you've been living there. And if you go in on the non-lucrative visa, they're technically not going to require you work because it's a non-working visa. In the other ones, right. they want to see that you have a job and they want to see that you're making income in euros. So it gets a little tricky depending on the visa, but I hope that answers the question. Yeah, of course. Okay. So for the lineage way, how did you prove that you were Jewish? Like, did they make you take like a 23andMe test or like, how did you prove like you were Jewish? Because what happens if you lost your documents during the Holocaust? Like, how do they know? Yeah. Like, you're actually... mm -hmm. So that Jewish one actually isn't around anymore for Spain. Like that one ended, I think it was 2015. I was trying to get my friend to do it. My best friend since first grade. She's um, Peruvian. And they, so uh, most people from Latin America have, you know, roots to Spain and their last name actually was Jewish. And like the back then you just had to have like a rabbi sign off on that. Your last name was Jewish and kind of like wow. develop some sort of relationship with the rabbi, even though if you weren't religious, like it's totally fine, but that's not around anymore. So let's talk about the Czech one. So like, because my grandpa was born in Prague, well, in Bruno, which is another big city in Czech Republic. And he got saved on, actually, you guys are going to freak out when I tell you this. Everybody freaks out. He was one of the 669 children that were saved on the kinder transport system. So we're actually talking like a Schindler type operation, a little bit smaller scale. But this man named Sir Nicholas Winton, knighted by the Queen of England, saved 669 Czech children from the Nazis basically got them on trains, took them to England. England was the only country that was accepting refugees. He wrote to like the US, he wrote to like all these countries and nobody wanted to take these refugee children. England was the only one, but they had a cap. They said, okay, we can take like 600. So he forged a lot of people's um, passports. This is on 60 Minutes. If you guys want to look it up, it's really interesting. It's um, Sir Nicholas Winton, you know, Holocaust saves Czech children. If you just like type that in, my my great uncle was one of them and he was interviewed in the in the 60 minutes. It like always makes me cry because I'm like, oh my God, this is so, so cool that like our family was saved, you know, like what are the odds yeah. um, out of one of eight parents that came to the office to send their Czech children, they had to choose one, one family. They had to choose one child. That's how many people were coming to like sit, get their kids to safety. So it kind of just, it's kind of crazy, man. Like, I mean, anyways, they went to England and then my gra grandpa came to the US um, and he was in the army. And when you served in the military, they, they allowed, and there's like certain time periods when this happened, they allowed the military people to naturalize, to become Americans and I think there was a point where he had his Czech citizenship, but at some point he did have to renounce it. Um, so a lot of the, it depends on the country and like what was happening at the time. 
a lot of them had to get rid of their European country citizenship. So I, if you're, the question was, they lost all their paperwork. Yes, it's true. We did have, we have some paperwork, but I don't have it. And I think his, um, his ex-wife has it, but I don't have a very good relationship with her. So I think it's kind of random and awkward if I just were to be like, Hey, haven't talked to you in 10 years. Can I have these documents? (laughs) So that's one route is like getting them from family members. But um, what I did was the USCIS, which is the immigration body of Mm -hmm. the US, you can request it there, but it takes a year. So I literally put this request in for my grandpa's part of the requirements. They're going to ask anything you have on them. When did they come into Ellis Island? Like you can do all that on Ancestry, but that's not required for the application in Prague. But I just have, you just do this whole research and like have everything in Google Drive. So I have all these screenshots and everything. Um, And I have like letters that my grandpa wrote. So I was able to kind of like backtrack and see like, you have to know where they naturalized from. And I'm like, how are we going to figure that out? And we figured it out. We figured out it was from Kansas because he was on like a military base. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of this like investigator uh, research that you're doing. But yeah, the typical route is through the USCIS. You have to put in a FOIA request, F-O-I-A, and they're waiting times are literally a year. Like I put it in in March Mm -hmm. and then we still didn't get the naturalization document. So they pull it from the public records and um, you need their death death certificate from here in the US. You need their birth certificate. You need your birth certificate. Um, You need their marriage certificate if they were married. So I pulled that. Those are pretty easy to pull. And then the, I found another route that you can go to get the naturalization certificate in like two weeks. It's like the local and that I'm telling you, it's all just from knowing people. Like I've developed this network where I kind of like, okay, one thing's not working slash. I don't want to wait a year. Okay. Let's pivot. So I have all that. I'm going to share it in the, in the course. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a long story short. You need the naturalization (laughs) birth certificate from the country. So we're actually getting that from Prague. You typically have to pay people. That's the only thing is you need a power of attorney there in the country to get somebody to pay for that. In the big scheme of things, it's not going to be super expensive, maybe like 500 to 900 euros to do that. Or you can go yourself. I have a family member that writes about our family and because my grandpa was pretty famous and so was my great uncle. So we know somebody on the ground that's just like doing it for us. Um, but typically you'd have to pay somebody like a law, law firm to pull the birth certificate for you in the country gotcha. if you don't have it. You figured all this out kind of by like trial error networking and all these things. But now you have all this information. And so if people are looking to do something similar, you can guide them without them having to go through all these hoops and figure it out themselves and have it not work out for them. And I think that's I think it's amazing. Thank you. It, it's literally been a seven plus year journey with gathering all this information. Like the stuff I'm sharing with you guys is is from experience. It's it's from when I first went into Spain and how that worked and how to do the student visa. That's the easiest route. If you want to do something more intense, like let's go this other route. If you want to, you know, obviously the citizenship stuff. It's all it's all from experience. And it's the same with you guys. I mean, you guys are sharing your travel hacks based on how you're saving. I don't even know the number now. Like 
$50,000 or more a year from travel hacking, probably a lot more. Crazy. It's going to save you a lot of money. Any of these routes that you guys, any type of program you sign up for that you're learning from somebody like you guys, myself, you're going to be saving like hundreds of hours because if not, you're going to be doing this. And we could even say thousands, like mm-hmm. shoot 40 hours a week. That's, that's not even that, that sounds like a lot, but imagine just doing that for one thing that you're trying to figure out and you can only spend an hour a day. So that's going to take you 40 weeks. Like, yeah. okay. Who's got time for that? Nobody. Ain't nobody got time yeah. for that. So if 2024 is your goal to learn how to travel hack better, how to get more better travel deals, how to actually learn how to use your credit card points and how to like not make mistakes for travel hacks, we do have our upcoming free travel hacking challenge. And there's going to be a link in the show notes. So you make sure you want to sign up and sign up for that for free. Uh, Shauna, you made me think of something like, so like hearing your story about how it's only two or $3,000 to pay for um like the study abroad program for like, I guess for your master's. You guys are going to sound so ripped off. I remember I went to Berkeley for undergrad. It was like 18000 a semester. So if you actually do your research like Shauna and like, you know, instead of getting another, like spending an extra like semester or so like I did for a bachelor's to go study abroad and pay $2,000 for a master's. And then once you're in Spain, if you're in different places like Barcelona, you have Ryanair, you have EasyJet, you have yeah. the trains, you have the buses. It's not as hard as you think, like $2,000 for a study abroad program that's a master's versus paying $18,000 extra for a semester through your university. There are different ways to hack this. And then I know that um, we had Flues present for our other travel hacking challenge. There's this gift card. Um, what's it called? Gift cards for college or something like that? I forgot the name of the gift yeah, card. Yeah, the gift, gift, of, gift card to college gift of college so like i don't I know if a college works for these that study abroad programs but like if it works for like berkeley you're going i mean not, not that i'm trying to plug my school but if it works for your your school that you're going to look into gifts of college too and remember you can use the flus app to buy that and you can use a bunch of different gift card hacks to stack on top of that you know so like you do want to hack as much as you want to like if if i had to look back at this i mean i did it I guess I did okay for doing the scholarship route as well. But if you didn't go down that scholarship route because you found out much later in life, it's still not too late. Like, look at what Shauna said. Like, you can get your master's for $2,000 or so, right? And then think Mm -hmm. about how cheap it would be once you get there to travel, like, versus paying, like, $18,000 a semester. You can go there for $2,000. And then once you get there, look, there's nothing wrong with staying in hostels. I mean, I granted, I have not stayed in a hostel in a long time. But like, if you want to go the bougie in the backpack route, you have hostels for you. You have buses, you have trains, you have Ryanair. It's not really that bad. You have a ferry that you could probably take also. So like, yeah. there's a lot of different ways to get around. So the cool part about the travel hacking piece too, is if you do decide to do a stint, let's say three months, six months in like Spain or a year or Portugal, or, you know, obviously if you want to go on a tourist visa in Italy, the point is, is you have this amazing base to like fly out of. And it's just so easy to get to these other countries. Like, I mean, the flight from, I think from like Spain to Amsterdam is like an hour 45 or something, an hour and 45 minutes. And I just remember like finding these deals and just hopping on the round trip, like modifying my dates a little bit because it was literally 80 euros round trip. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's, it's kind of like flying. It's like the time, time wise, it's like flying in the US, but price wise, it's like 
a fraction of the because flying in the u.s is so expensive like flying from one city to another it's like a couple hundred bucks but like yeah in europe you can find them so much cheaper right yeah it's, so it's i mean if you guys are like, gung-ho yeah. on traveling yeah. i would say try this like try living in europe because you will really get to know the entire continent and it's actually cool because you actually won't ever get to know everything because there's just like yeah. so many cultures in this 28 country region yeah it's, it's funny you said that because like the us i feel like a lot of people argue like our points and miles are better but when you go overseas to somewhere in a place like europe you guys have cheap cash deals. So it's like, if you don't mm -hmm. want to go the miles and points route, you have like cheap cash deals that you would do in Spain. And you remember like, if you use a credit card that doesn't charge foreign transaction fees, so let's say you use a Cap One card. So all Cap One cards don't have any foreign transaction fees. We can link that in the show notes or so. But you can get like, let's say you got the Cap One Venture Saver One card. I believe that's 3X Grocery and also 3X Restaurants. So that's like a very easy one to use abroad because you're going to be eating out all the time or buying food or so. So like, it's very easy to hack the system that way that's a no annual fee card by the way so mm -hmm. there's a lot of different hacks that you can do on this too so it's very good um, yeah no it's a different perspective you know like if you're trying to live abroad and find like the cheapest way to do that there's a lot of different ways you can do that and if you never started your side hustle or the business that you wanted to and you also want to get a business credit card but i would depend on business credit card because if you get like a chase ink cash that has foreign transaction mm -hmm. fees the chase ink preferred doesn't so just be mindful of that and amex it's a little bit harder to use abroad i i have used it abroad but mostly at hotels most places except visa or mastercard not really amex as much but um there's a lot of different strategies that you can do behind this Pretty yeah fun. there's something to consider too about some of the the hacks when you're living abroad like if you for example i american express gold is a big card that i use but mostly because i can earn back that annual fee that I'm spending on Uber credits, on Uber Eats, and on Grubhub. So if you don't have those options though available to you and you're living overseas, you might want to consider a different card, maybe like City Premier, where you can get you get three times points internationally on even on gas too. So that's like something that um like American Express Gold you get you get four times points worldwide, but like not everywhere is accepted. So you have to think about that too. But the other thing is the because there are fewer people in Europe doing points and miles the way it is in the US. If you're flying from somewhere in Europe to somewhere else, there's actually a lot more opportunities for award space because there's not as many people fighting over it. So that's like something that might that might help you as well. Oh, and I always fly from like Spain to like Turkey to mm -hmm. connect. Like I love the Istanbul airport <laughs> and I love Turkish yeah. and I love all of those like international airlines um, going to Dubai or going to Israel or going over to Asia, like we just did um, India and Nepal and Thailand. So it's a good like central place for taking like connecting flights as well. Thank you so much, Shauna, for joining us today. We learned so much. I mean, I think you've just planted a seed in all of our minds about how we can start our living abroad journey and all these things that you figured out so that we don't have to figure it out. So thank you so much. And where can we find you and what, what can we do if we want to learn more from you? Yeah. Well, again, I'm having a virtual summit called Untold Secrets of Living Overseas. It's completely free. That's on February 17th and 18th. I bring the top experts and everything living abroad, relocation, travel together. Um, so you guys can sign up for that. And um, I also have a course. There's a wait list for that if you guys really want to make this happen. Um, and that's launching in Q1, Q1 of 2024. And 
I'll put the link there. And then I also have a move abroad roadmap. So this is a free resource. There is like, there are some exercises to kind of like get you going. Again, the first thing I would say is just like, you have to start like, you know, wherever you put your energy and effort that it just starts to flow. And I get, I think you guys know what I mean by that. Like, Hey, if you want to become a good tennis player, you got to start, you got to start taking a class or you got to start putting, giving, giving it some energy, like work that muscle in your brain or work that muscle in your body to like get you strong. So it's, it's literally the same thing. Just don't forget to have these daily practices to keep you set on your goal. Um, so anyways, I'm here to answer your guys' questions you can find me also on Instagram. It's at Shauna Lum with two M's, uh, but we'll kind of put everything in the description so you guys can can see that. And thank you again for having me, you guys. Yeah. And also, if you guys want to learn more from Shauna as well, she will be featured in our Bougie in a Backpack virtual travel summit, which is coming up in March. So we will have that in our show notes too. And also, if you are listening and you're thinking, oh, I have something I want to share or something I want to teach about, we do actually have our applications open for the Bougie in a Backpack travel summit. So if you want to apply, feel free to apply. But if you don't want to apply either, you can you can grab your ticket. It's totally free. And yeah, we're really excited for you to join us. We do have a free travel hacking challenge just to kick off 2024. So make sure you check out the show notes. We're going to have different events coming on for the travel hacking challenges. Every time we have a challenge, a lot of people say they learn a lot of new things. We had people that came from our stacking challenge and they were so excited. They're like, wow, I went from stacking 101 to 301. Oh, I had this app for like a while. I didn't know that they had this feature. Just because things change all the time in travel hacking, it doesn't mean that like, you know, everything. We're, all, we're also also learning things all the time as well. Different rules change all the time. You can definitely learn how to travel hack better. So if you want to get that travel hacking bucket list that you have not done so yet, or learn how to get the points to get enough credit card points to go to your dream destination, definitely check out our free travel hacking challenge. It's called New Year, New Me, and that's a good goal for you to have in 2024. And we will see you next week.